Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, August 30th, we are studying Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. In today's text, the Lord gives his people instructions concerning peace offerings. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Vance Becker. Pastor Becker is an LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving as theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matango, Kenya. Pastor Becker, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Well, thank you. It's good been to that get long. to talk to you about uh, Leviticus this morning. Glad to have you back so soon. Talk to us a little bit about the book of, of Leviticus, uh, what we might want to know as we prepare to look at chapter 3 today. Well, to review, Leviticus is all about worship. Uh, well, worship in the broader sense, not just, you know, a worship service, but uh, things related to the uh, a formal relationship with God, uh, including lifestyle and various things. And and the other thing that maybe should be clarified when we say it's about worship, I think as Lutherans, we tend to picture worship as a group activity that happens weekly. That was not the case for Israel at this point in their history. Uh, it was, it was, there, it was something where, you know, you might worship individually at home with your family it was only on certain special occasions that you would go to uh, Jerusalem, the temple, the one place to worship a- as a group. Uh, so uh, worship in, in a broader sense. Now, uh, Israelite worship, uh, this was given, uh, the, the instructions here were given shortly after leaving Egypt. Uh, when they're at Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments. And even before this, uh, before Abra- at the time of Abraham and earlier, they had done some worship. Uh, it was somehow in some ways similar to the way pagans would worship. They would recognize there's a God and, and maybe we offer sacrifices, we pray. Uh, Egypt also had worship. The Israelites would have observed that. Uh, and their worship in some ways was similar also, you know, sacrifices. And, but but God wanted the Israelites to be very clear on the fact that you worship a particular God. And so, here, God gives them very particular instructions about worship. Uh, for example, he, he told them, when you go into the land of Canaan, you are not going to worship like the people around you, or you will end up worshiping the gods of the people around you. And so here, God gives particular instructions about the place where they were to worship, that is, the tabernacle, later the temple. He gives instructions about the people who are to lead the worship, the priests. They are to come from this specific tribe of Levi, and thus the name of this book, Leviticus, named after the tribe that leads the worship. Uh, He gives them specific instruction on time periods for worship, when they are to do it. 
uh, festivals connected to specific things got it done for them that they're supposed to remember. Uh, all based on sevens, but that's getting a little away from this specific chapter. Uh, and also specific procedures for worship, which is what we're dealing with here. Uh, all in order to keep them faithful to one particular person that they are to worship. Yeah, that's right. And and the, the not only is he a particular god who's giving them this worship, but he's different than the other gods. He he acts differently than those gods, the the pagan gods who would demand sacrifices because they needed to be fed, perhaps, or because this was the way that the the people would serve them as slaves. Rather, God, through his sacrifices, he gives to his people, as we've already seen in the first two chapters. And I think we'll continue to see in this chapter concerning the peace offerings that we get to look at. I'm, I'm curious, you know, just with you as a, a missionary in Kenya, if there are, if there are elements of the, the culture there in Kenya that have given you an appreciation for things that happened in the book of Leviticus— that maybe you would not have had as as a pastor in the United States. I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about some of the the challenges of like the seasons that are there in Kenya and how you relate the the Passover to that because they don't have the same seasons necessarily. So I'm curious if there's anything in terms of the the sacrificial system that being in Kenya has given you a new appreciation for, or maybe there's been a challenge in teaching some of these things. Uh, any any thoughts there? Well, you know. It's interesting you ask because my wife and I have both noticed living the lifestyle here. It's like living in Bible times to some degree. I visited Israel some years ago and people go on about, oh, this gave them such a greater appreciation for the Bible. You know, living in Kenya has given me much more appreciation for understanding the Bible than visiting Israel uh, just because of the the lifestyle. You know, they're, they're plowing with oxen. Um, one one example I would say related to this is uh, here uh, on a if it's a special occasion you'll you'll kill a chicken you know for your family because they don't have refrigerators we have one but most people don't have refrigerators well if you're going to have a bigger group uh, you will have goat I was at a church uh, last Sunday and they fed the whole congregation because we got a special guest and we had goat because it's the right size and right amount of meat for that group. A cow, hardly ever. you got to have a really big group. Although, the students here tell me, in the cafeteria, they almost always have beef. Why? You're feeding the whole student body. Hmm. Uh, so the size of animal is going to be related to the size of group that you're feeding. So, Passover, what are you going to have? You're going to have a, a lamb. Why? Because that's the right amount of meat to feed a uh, an extended household. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's kind of what I was thinking as I was reading through, and I know we'll, we'll read chapter three here in a moment, but just looking through it and some of the descriptions as to, and even in chapter one as well, the descriptions of how the animal is to be slaughtered, what you do with the blood, how you divide up the various parts. In today's text, when we're talking about some of the fat, these are things that I, I think in, in our American context— you know, we just go to the grocery store and you buy a cut of meat and you don't know where in the animal that comes from or how the butchering process happens. And so I, that's kind of what I was, was imagining that in, in your context, people are going to be a lot more familiar with, at least with that slaughtering process, sort of the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of that. Yeah. Well, and, and when you eat an animal, pretty much it's all in there. When, when we have 
when you have chicken, the feet and the head are in there. When you have a fish, the head and the tail is there. Um, okay, now a, a lamb or a goat, I, I haven't seen the head, but yeah, you're not wasting anything. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so so very good. Any any other introductory comments in terms of the the context of the where we are in the book of Leviticus? I mean, you know, this is the third chapter. We we've read a couple things already, but any any context that's going to be helpful for what we're looking at with chapter three specifically? Sure. Yeah, let's review and sort of zero in on where we are. Uh, much of the book has to do with various uh, worship procedures. That is sacrifices. Um, especially for chapters 1 to 7. Um, and we're going to be referring to chapter 7 some, because in chapter 7 is where it talks about uh, when you have certain kinds of sacrifices, and peace offerings is one of those, where you eat them together uh, with the priest as sort of a celebration meal. And, and that's in chapter 7. Uh, chapter 8 and following, that's going to be about the priests in particular. That's one of the things he's particular about. Then you get to, uh, about various kinds of purification, um, you know, leprosy and, and the childbirth and all those things that there's some reference to in the New Testament. Uh, then toward the end of the book, you get into Day of Atonement um, and then about various instructions about the, the holiness. Holiness in the sense of uh, special, separated, set apart. Uh, the people, the land, the, the Sabbath, those, those things are holy. Now, chapters 1 to 7, you got the various offerings. Uh, here at the beginning, we've got uh, the voluntary offerings. Later in chapter 4, we'll get to the required offerings. Now we're talking about voluntary offerings. Various kinds of voluntary offerings. Um, there are burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings. Now, you, you previous episode... You talk about burnt offerings and grain offerings. Now we're going to get into peace offerings specifically. That's what this chapter is about, is peace offerings. We're going to be seeing this chapter also is divided into three parts. Uh, if it's this, if it's this, if it's this. So that's sort of our, our outline. And I'll also say as we go along, we will be noting connections to New Testament, uh, to Jesus specifically. New Testament points out everything we've got here, all Israelite worship, is patterns and pictures of what God himself is going to do for us through Jesus. And so one of the things that's happening uh, with these offerings is it's a reminder that we are sinners. Uh, sin is paid for only by blood sacrifice. And so there's repeated reference. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. So that when we get to Jesus, we go, oh, hey, I get it. Um, and uh, then also we see we respond to what he has done for us. Uh, that's what our worship is. It's receiving and responding. Responding with a portion of what he has given us. And that's what we're going to see here in this chapter specifically is how do you respond by giving, returning a portion as acknowledgement this all came from God. All right. All right, very good. With that in mind, let's take a look at the text. This is Leviticus chapter 3. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and lay his hand on its head, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it, as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. That's our text for today. That is Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. So, Pastor Becker, as you've mentioned, we've covered burnt offerings in chapter 1. We've talked about grain offerings in chapter 2. There are certainly some similarities, some differences that we'll discuss in this chapter. The offerings described here are called peace offerings. What what does that mean? Well, uh, this is... A- and kind of offering that God tells them to give. And uh, it is a, a, it is to, in one part, a, a picture of uh, the peace that God gives us. You know, it's in a, consider the Lord's Prayer. God tells you, pray for these things. So when you pray for these things, you can have confidence that God's going to give you these things. Because as Luther comments, he told me to ask for this. So this peace offering, God says, you do this, and that's going to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that is a reminder you have peace with God. Well, if God tells you to offer this peace offering, then you can be confident, oh, I do have peace with God because he said, you do this, and it's a pleasing aroma to God. It's not like I'm making something up like Luther struggled with in the Reformation. Oh, hey, I'll make this up and God will like me. No, God says, I'll tell you what to do. And then you can be confident you do this, and and you've got peace with me. Now, I mentioned we're going to be sort of looking ahead to chapter 7, the other aspect of this. As in our worship also, we've got this, this vertical relationship, us and God, but worship also has a horizontal relationship. One of the things that's not mentioned here, but we come back to it in chapter 7, is these peace offerings are something that when you give this offering— you're not burning the whole thing. We're, well, 
what are you doing with the rest of it? You're eating it in a celebration meal together with you and the priest. And so also you're celebrating that we have peace with each other. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but but uh, already we should notice, hey, Lord's Supper. Yeah. Lord's Supper is the New Testament equivalent of this, where you've got an offering in a sense, although it's not so much what we're giving to God as he's giving to us, but in some traditions, the, the bread and wine are brought forward at the time of the offering, and then we have this meal that we eat together, and it's a way of saying we have peace with God through forgiveness of sins, and we've got this peace relationship with one another, those we are communing with, which is why we do the greeting of peace just before that, and uh, why, why it means something that we're communing together with these particular people that share the same faith we have. Yeah, that, that practice of bringing the bread and wine forward with the offering that then is used for the Lord's Supper, I think, I mean, that mirrors what you see in the peace offering and in other places in Leviticus, where and, and in the direction that things go. So an animal is brought to God as an offering, but then God takes that offering and he gives it back to you in, a, in another way that, that gives you benefits. So here the animal is brought as a peace offering, and God gives you then this peace, peace with him, and then peace with each other. You've got peace within the, the family that's gathered to, to be a part of this offering, peace between that, that family and the priest, so that, as you said, when God commands you, hey, do this, you know that he's going to give you what he's promised to deliver because it comes from, from his own direction. And that, that, again, is one of the big differences between this worship and pagan worship Pagan worship, you know, how do you know that you're actually going to to get what you are looking for in this kind of worship? Well, here we've got a, a worship that is given by God Himself, and so we can have confidence that He's going to deliver what He's promised. Yeah, in a way, you could compare it to the sacraments in general. Yeah, there's something we do, but actually, they're more something God does for us. And yeah. yes, we do it, but the reason we do it is because God himself said to do it, along with his promise that when you do this action, here's what I am doing spiritually. And so the sacrifices in the Old Testament were somehow like that, where he says, do this, but because you're doing what God himself said to do, now you have the confidence that God himself is doing what he says he will do. That's right. Okay, so this is this offering is called a peace offering, and as, as we've said, God is going to give peace with himself to those worshiping. There's going to be peace between the, the worshipers and the priest. There's going to be peace between the family that's gathered for this, this worship. Now, maybe talk just a little bit more about that setting of, of who is, is gathered, when this is happening. Those things aren't made perhaps as clear here in Leviticus chapter 3. Can you give us a little more of that context of the setting of this? Yes. Um, when you get to chapter 7, and that's where it's a little more clear about the fact you're going to eat this together. Now, uh, there's not. this is a voluntary offering, and, and uh, the grain offering, that's the one I would picture most similar to what we do as our offerings in worship. It's a voluntary thing. It's something we're giving back to God, a portion. Um, 
But this also is a voluntary offering. There's not a specific, you have to do this at this particular time or when this happens. Um, there, uh, there are some offerings, like sin offerings, you offer at a particular time. When does this happen? It could very well be that it happened especially uh, on the major festivals uh, when people would come to Jerusalem. Now, he's clear about this, and they're going to eat this. Uh, there were rules outside of this particular chapter that a, a firstborn animal, uh, you cannot eat, uh, just you know, kill it and eat it, and, and animals, that, or firstborn males, that is, and uh, animals that are they're part of your tithes, you can't just kill and eat. First, you have to take it to the sanctuary. That is that one place in Jerusalem. And then you can eat it. Um, other meat, yeah, you just kill it, you eat it, you got to do that. But this is done, this is a sacrifice. So it's done at the sanctuary in Jerusalem. And when did you go to the sanctuary in Jerusalem? Well, you went there for the three big festivals, for, for, Pentec for Passover and then for Pentecost, and then uh, for Day of Atonement. And so this might have been a part of, you're there, you offer this peace offering, you have this big festival meal, picture Thanksgiving, where you're all going to eat together, and those might have been the particular times that you would do this kind of offering. Uh, you could do it at other times too, but that might have especially been the time that everybody was going to go there and do that. Uh, these are not part of the required regular morning, evening sacrifices that are done at the temple. They are more very uh, personal way of participating in the worship. This is your animal that you're bringing from your household, and uh, uh, this is something you're choosing to do. By the way, I would mention, unlike what you talked about uh, in the previous episode, um, this can be a male or a female. It doesn't have to be a male animal. Right, and, and that that struck me that this can be a male or a female. And just as you were talking about the the context there in Kenya, and and what you eat depends on how big your gathering is. I, I wonder if perhaps that's maybe the reason that it could be male or female in this case is that you're you're choosing the animal in this case, which does still need to be without blemish, but the the particular animal that you're choosing has has a little more to do with maybe how big of a group that's coming with you to the tabernacle or temple to participate in this meal. And so you might choose a male or a female depending on its size so that you, you have the right number of, or the right amount of food for the people gathered. I don't know that, but as you were talking that it's like, well, that might make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking about choosing the animal, uh, let me just talk a little bit uh, before we go on about the, uh, how should I say it? The, the style of writing here. Um, and that is, it's a Hebraic style. Okay, as you read it, some people are probably thinking, oh man, that's long and repetitious. Well, yeah, that's why a lot of people get bored reading Leviticus and some other places in the Bible. Because it's, it's okay, you said that, and you repeat, repeat, repeat. It would be very easy to do a Reader's Digest condensed version of a book like this. It would be quite short. Um, but in a sense, there's a reason for the repetition. Um, one is that's a very Hebraic way of speaking and writing to go around and around and around. I, I mentioned this because when we come to the New Testament, John especially, John's Gospel, John's Letters, the book of Revelation, you see this around and around and around repetitive uh, way of writing. 
which is the Hebrew style. You, you see it also in Psalms. Now, it has been suggested that one reason that this particular chapter or, or this part is so repetitive is this is a this is a manual. This is a manual for how you do this. And it's written in such a way that you can memorize it. And yeah. each section, this chapter is three parts. Each part you can have memorized. Okay, now you got, here's your three by five card. And it's got everything on it on how you do this particular offering. Um, and then you got another three by five card. And it says very much the same thing, but it's, it's how you do that type of offering. Although they don't have three by five cards, they've, they've got it committed to memory and it's something you could recite. Okay, so I'm going to recite. Here's how I do this offering. Now, this chapter, as I said, has three parts. Three different kinds of peace offerings. Uh, first, you've got... Now, I will also say this. The whole chapter, almost the whole chapter, is one sentence. Hmm. And it begins, if. If this, then it goes on, and if this, and if this... Yeah. Uh, reminds me of Apostle Paul. He's got some really, really long sentences too. The first part is about if it's an animal from the herd. Okay, that is, that's a large animal. That's like a cow. And then if it's from the flock, well, that's a smaller animal, a sheep or a goat. And so part one, if it's a cow, this. Part two, if it's a sheep, this. Part three, if it's a goat, this. Another thing about uh, he, the style of writing, um, and, and you see this again, again in John's letters, in, and I am convinced in the book of Revelation especially, a, a lot of our writing is sort of built up to this. In Hebraic writing, the main point is in the middle. Look to the middle, and there you'll find the main thing. What do we have in the very middle? The Lamb. The lamb is in the very middle. Oh, here is another picture. The central importance, this lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the lamb that brings us peace. In fact, we were talking about peace offerings before. Uh, Paul refers to Jesus as our peace offering, using this specific term uh, several times in his writings. Now, it doesn't maybe always look as clear because... The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, um, which, okay, means well-being, wholeness, everything is good and right, intact. Uh, often translated in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, as salvation. And so when you get to the New Testament where you're talking about salvation, the word, the Greek word is the same as the Greek word they're using for peace. And so... Uh, this peace, this is our, our salvation, our wholeness, making life all good and right with us and God. Mm. You know, what you're saying about the what is in the middle is, is often the most important. The book of Leviticus as a whole very well may be structured in that way, because what is at the middle of the book of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. And so just as a, a, a preview, not only in chapter 3, but just as the book as a whole, pay attention to what's in the middle. It's very, very important. And to what you were saying about the, the style— I mean, yeah, it, it can be maybe seem repetitious, but I'll say reading it out loud as I do for the for the program, 
that that helps. And reading it out loud, I think I I appreciate this style from Leviticus a lot more because it is it does it works like okay, I know where I need to go now if I want to find out what sacrifice I'm doing and how to do it. I know exactly where I'm going to land in this chapter to find those instructions from God. So we're going to keep looking at this chapter more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Vance Becker this morning about Leviticus 3. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 30th. We're studying Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17 with Pastor Vance Becker. He is an LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving as theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matongo, Kenya. Pastor Becker, prior to the break, we were making some connections to Jesus. You mentioned Paul's language and how he connects Jesus as a peace offering. I mentioned earlier, there is the matter of without blemish. It can be male or female in this case, but the without blemish is the same as chapter one's offerings. How does without blemish connect us to Christ? Well, it connects us to Christ because he is the only one who is truly without blemish. Uh, that is without any sin. And uh, it's also showing that only the best. That's throughout Leviticus, throughout Old Testament worship, it, it has to be perfect. And one thing we're seeing is, well, well nothing we do is perfect. Uh, but to come to God, it must be perfect, which is why we need Jesus. Only Jesus finally makes it perfect. Uh, the other thing about this particular offering is it's voluntary. Jesus was the willing sacrifice. And uh, he gives himself perfectly, and that is the way. Finally, we have peace with God. Um, New Testament says, we have now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, so now we can come near. And if, if I can, just an aside on that, that Jesus finally fulfills it all. Uh, this particular sacrifice is not paying for sin. But uh, the sin offerings they pay for sin, but not completely, not totally. I like to compare it to this. When, when you owe a debt, uh, you, you can't pay it back all at once, but you, you're paying interest. And, you're, and even if you can't pay the principal, you're just constantly paying interest, paying interest, paying interest. The Old Testament sacrifices didn't really pay the principle of our debt of sin at all. They were simply continually paying interest, paying interest, paying interest, till finally Jesus comes, Jesus pays the principle, okay, now no more paying interest. 
That's good. I like that. I like that image. That's that's really good. So let's let's keep looking at some more of the details here from chapter three and the peace offerings. So we've got the male or female without blemish. That's going to be consistent across the board for cow or or sorry herd, sheep, goat. Either way. So then part of it, verse two, you're going to lay the hand on the head of the animal, kill it at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. The Aaron's sons are going to throw the blood against the side of the altar. Take us into those details of verse 2. Now, these details, okay, chapter verse 1 is going to start with animals from the herd. And now, verse 2, here's the procedure. And this procedure is going to be the same. as we, It's going to be repeated for each of the other kinds. Uh, step 1, you lay your hand on the head of the offering. What is happening there is you are identifying with it. You are saying, you know, this, this is from me. Uh, and, and the death of this animal really is taking place of the death of me uh, because I'm identifying with it. And uh, it, there's a, another place where we've got the, the, the goat that uh, goes out into the wilderness. You lay your hands on it and saying, okay, it's going from me to this. Um, then, next thing is you kill it, and it's at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's the, that corresponds, when you got the temple, that's the outer court. Because you can't go inside. Only the priests go inside the courtyard, and only the high priest uh, goes into the Holy of Holies. So he's, he's doing it for you. Uh, and again, Jesus is our priest. He goes in until he tears the curtain open and we all can go in. So you'd kill it at the entrance. Then the priests, and this is another part, God's been very specific about who is going to lead the worship. And now New Testament, we're all priests. We can all come to God. We can all pray. We can all you know, give our offerings. The priest throws the blood against the sides of the altar. There's a whole lot of throwing blood around all throughout the Old yeah. Testament. Um, and, and, uh, Today also, we're, we're saved by the shed blood of Jesus. Well, we're not splashing red blood around, but how does God's blood get on us? Through the Word. Everything God does, He does through the Word. Uh, then, uh, when it's from this sacrifice, uh, it, it's called now a food offering to the Lord um, in verse 3. Now, you had mentioned before that the pagans had this idea that somehow we have to feed God. Um, let's be clear, we are not feeding God uh, because this offering, for example, specifically is eaten mostly by the people. Now, that word for food, the Hebrew word is the word for bread. Okay, well, we know it's not bread, it's meat, but that's simply the word that they use for this kind of thing that is a, a food offering. So it's not literally bread, and it's not literally feeding God, but but it, that's the word. It's a food offering. Um, and now, in verse 3, we get to specifically the fat that is covering the, the, the entrails, the innards, the guts. Um, now, uh, why specifically offering the fat? Well, the fat is, is, in a sense, thought of as the best part. In Genesis, God says, when you go in, you're going to enjoy the fat of the land. Um, the God gets you give your best to God to give Him the best part, um, 
And later on, the prophets say, once the Messiah comes, then we're going to enjoy a feast with fat. Um, so the, it's offering the best. Now, my wife doesn't like it, but, but I, when I'm eating meat, I enjoy eating the fat. You know, that, that really gives it taste. Not that I'm going to eat all the fat or the, the fat on the, the guts, but you're offering the fat. Now, verse 4 specifically, you're offering the kidneys with the fat that's on them and the liver, the long lobe of the liver and the fat that's on that. Um, what's going on there? Well, uh, some have noted that uh, one of the, the Concordia Commentary series on this is by John Kleinig. And one thing he points out is that the pagans, again, uh, we don't want to be like them. They're using these lobes of the liver for their fortune telling. And so when they offer sacrifices, they're keeping this and they're using this for fortune telling. And God says, nope, you're not doing that. You're going to burn that. Uh, and we're going to burn that along with the fat, uh, so the kidneys and the, uh, the, uh, the liver. Um, and right. verse 5 then, so those things you're going to burn, and you're burning on top of the burnt offering. Now, last episode, chapter 2, you've got the, the burnt offering, and so you're, you're going to burn that. And then on top of that, then you put the grain offering, that's chapter 2 as well. Now, this offering is going on top of that. And I think it's good that you hopefully have a good bed of coals by now because this stuff is not going to burn very easy. <laughs> yeah. um, but when you do get to this, now it's going to smoke, like other things that don't burn easy, you know, like you burn a pile of leaves. And this smoke is going to go up in a pillar, and this is going to remind you of the pillar of fire and cloud uh, that shows that God is with you as you're wandering through the wilderness, that showed you God was there at, the, at Mount Sinai. And uh, this smoke, it's going to smell good. Picture a barbecue. You know, somebody is grilling down the street. Oh, man, I can smell that. That smells good. That's what this is going to smell like. And this is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. As we were talking about before the break, uh, this is going to tell you, yes, God is pleased. Why? And not because it smells so good, but because you're doing, he said to do this. And when you do this, you can be sure that he is pleased. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So a, a couple of things as, as you're talking through the, the procedure, which is the same for each animal. There's a few details maybe because of differences of anatomy, but generally speaking, these are the same procedures for each animal. That again, these are things that, that maybe just aren't in regular American consciousness. But the fact that you do take the choicest parts, the, the parts that most people would have wanted to eat, and you, you give those to God, I mean, indicates who is the, the most important guest at this meal. And again, knowing that we're not feeding God in the sense that we need to eat, but, but the fact that He receives this as the part of the burnt, or that goes on top of the burnt offering that ascends then before Him in the smoke. That does show who the most important guest is. You give that choicest piece to him. And then the, the distinction between the pagan worship and the Israelite worship and the way that the Lord guards his people here against falling into this false way of thinking about, oh, I need to take a look at this part of the animal, and that's how I'm going to figure out what God is thinking or what God wants me to do or what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And the Lord guards his people against that, and he says, no, you don't need to look at the lobe of the, the liver of the, the animal. You need to listen to my word. And, and I just the graciousness of God in giving those instructions and guarding against that false way of worship and all the dangers inherent, I mean, something that really comes through, I think, strongly in this section. Okay. Yeah. Just a couple other comments. Um, uh, some have thought, okay, you're now different from the burnt offerings. You're, you're only burning the fat. You're, you're going to, as we said before, the rest of the animal you're going to eat together. That's the whole peace offering kind of thing. Uh, some have said, oh, well, maybe one reason for this is it's, it has dietary benefits. That fat's not good for you. Um, as some have even suggested that, that sometimes, you know, you know tapeworms, uh, parasites are in the fat of the animals. So you're better off not eating that. Um, my wife would also say you're better off not eating the, the kidneys and the liver, too. um but you know but they would outside of this specific sacrifice they would ordinarily eat these kind of things in their their everyday meals Um, sure well i say everyday meals they're big meals because i'm guessing that like here you're not going to eat a lamb every day or a goat or anything like that it's only a special occasion when you got a big meal when you're eating this Right, and and just the thought, as as you were saying earlier, that when you you know when you engage in this kind of a feast, you are not going to let anything go to waste. To take part of it and put it on the fire might seem like a waste, but but the reality is, and again, because this comes from the mouth of the Lord Himself, it's not a waste at all to give this to God, and that you know might just be part of when we think about our stewardship boy this just just seems like a waste i could do something better with this than put it on the fire uh, no when you give something to god you don't you're not wasting anything at all that and because he's the one that's commanded it it's not a waste but it's a part of you know him giving you his his gifts in worship yes just a little more uh, speaking of the worship connection a little more on the special occasion aspect of this mm. Uh, I mentioned those those three big festivals. You would go, you'd be there at the temple. Let's do this peace offering, and we have this feast together. Chapter seven, which is looking back at this, gives three specific purposes for peace offerings. One, it can be a thank offering, a way to say thank you for an answering my prayer. So that would be a reason that I'm going to go do this. A second would be I've done a vow, and uh, we read about in the New Testament, Paul. I've done this vow. I've completed my vow. Now this is the kind of offering I'm going to give as I complete my vow. Uh, and then a third is just a general thanks for blessing. I get this special blessing. I want to say thanks to God. That would be a third reason to, to offer this, this special uh, offering. Now, you mentioned earlier the connection with divination concerning the lobe of the liver, that there was the thought in pagan religion that if you looked at this in the right way, you could see the future. And so the Lord prevents that. In terms of the fat, and particularly the fat that's on the entrails, as is described very specifically in these verses, I think there's also a pagan connection there that the Lord is is preventing when he says, don't eat that, because there were some some thoughts, and it's also connected with the matter of not, not uh, having the blood, as is mentioned at the end of this chapter. Talk about some of those those connections. Well, that's interesting. That that pagan connection with the fat. I have to admit, I haven't found anything on that. Maybe you know some more about yourself. 
the well, blood. Doc, I, yes. I can I can say Dr. Kleinig connects it with the blood. He he talks about with the when you drink the blood, that would be drinking the life. And there apparently was a thought in pagan worship that if you you eat this particular fat on the entrails, he he says that that the pagan thought is that you would somehow receive some sort of supernatural power from the animal if you ate that fat. Mm. I, I do remember the part about the blood. Yes, that idea you you drink the blood and that's giving you the the, the strength of this animal. Well, in some cultures, uh, you do that when you kill your enemy. <laughs> you drink their blood, and that's that's the way you're you're getting their strength from them. Um, and uh, you know, with and with the the pagans, they would. In the New Testament, we see this. They would they would offer these offerings to God, and they sort, it's sort of like they're feeding God. And once God spiritually, supernaturally takes the nourishment from this, uh, then you sell it in the marketplace. That was that whole issue in, that Paul wrote about to the Corinthians, uh, and you eat that. Um, but here you're you're pouring out the blood, and uh, you're not feeding God at all with this. But you're you are eating it together, and you're not selling it. Uh, this is something you're doing on a special occasion, and you yourself are eating this uh, as a celebration of a, a festival meal, a feast, uh, along with God. Mm, yeah, that's and that and that's part of the the gracious nature of the peace offerings, is that God wants to to have this meal with you, and again that that peace being between God and those worshiping, the peace then that extends horizontally as well between the worshipers and between the, the worshipers and the priests. That's a that's a huge part of this, which again, you know, going back to that thought that God doesn't need to eat this food. The, the fat is not burned because he needs that sort of physical nourishment. He doesn't need to eat it all like that. But the fact that God then takes that opportunity, and that's how the pagans would conceive it, and he turns it on his head— as an opportunity to give this meal to his people, I mean, just it it totally reverses the way that pagans would think and the way that we naturally would think too. Oh, I've got to do something to please God, or he's going to be mad at me. Rather, God says, no, I, I love you, and I'm going to give you this nourishment, and you can know that I'm pleased with you because you're, you're receiving what I'm giving to you in my word. Yes, and, and that's... In- Important to notice in Old Testament worship and in New Testament worship, if I can get off the subject just a little bit, I mentioned last week I was in Rwanda teaching about worship. And I started with talking about natural worship, because there, there's a lot of that here in Africa yet, this, this naturalistic, you know, uh, we'd call it pagan worship. And it's all me reaching out for God, something I have to do for God so that then God will give to me. Uh, and God's responding to me. And I pointed out the main, one of the main things to understand about our concept of worship is it is us receiving from God. Lutheran worship is honoring God by receiving what he gives us. And, and I even mentioned there are a lot of Christians, and even some Lutherans, I'll have to admit, that they're looking in a mirror. They're getting the mirror image. It looks good but it's all exactly backwards. Taking everything God does for us and turning it into something I have to do for God. You know, sacraments. Taking what God does for me and turning it into something now I have to do for God. And 
that's what sin does. Sin turns everything on its head. And God is simply turning us back around saying, no, it starts with me. It comes to me to you. And you are simply responding to, to what I'm doing for you. Yeah. And this is I, this is one reason why I, I like to refer to the, what happens on Sunday morning as the divine service rather than worship. It's fine to call it worship, and I'm, I'm sure I do. But I also try to be intentional about saying the divine service, just as a one way of reminding people that, that you're coming here so that God can serve you. You can receive this service from the one who is divine. He has come to serve you here. And yes, we respond in our praises and our thanksgivings, in our offerings, but even those always come back to us as God's gifts to us. He is the one who has come to serve. And, and I think the more that we remember that, the, the better, because that is the way the Scriptures constantly talk to us about the way that God relates to us. He is the one who comes to serve us. And, you know, you can picture this, you know, picture a, a parent and their child. You know, what do parents want from their children? Okay, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Okay, you give me something, that's nice. You know what I really want from you most? I want for you to receive what I give you. Uh, or, or a teacher, you know, you give nice gifts to your teacher. Here's an apple. You know what the teacher wants most? I want you to listen to what I'm telling you and receive what I give you. And and, and if you if you receive what I'm trying to give you, that's what makes me the happiest. I mean, that's the way God is. I, receive what I give you. Don't turn it around as if now you've got to give something to me. Um, and, and okay, I got to be careful. But, you know, my wife's a teacher. Every teacher, every parent, every pastor has gotten something that's given in great love. And it's okay, now what do I do with this? <laughs> um and, and you know, Luther struggled with this in the Reformation. We got all these things. I got to do this for God. <laughs> That's not what God wants. He wants you to simply receive what he gives you and be happy with it. Hmm. And that's what now, we're thinking, thinking. Thinking again about the, the specifics here in the offering, in terms of the, the benefits of this offering, you know, we've got the blood being poured out on the altar again. We've got the, the smoke going up and the... the meal that's happening, particularly with this one, what are the benefits received from the peace offering? I would say the benefit in a sense is peace with God, uh, peace with your neighbor, with the fellow people. Although in a, another sense, you, you're, you have that peace already. The benefit is the confidence of the peace. Being sure, now I know. Now I, Like Lord's Supper. I mean, Beginning of the worship service, you've got forgiveness of sins and the absolution. What's happening in Lord's Supper, you're getting the personal guarantee assurance. You have the confidence. Luther says, you know, it's all about the confidence, the confidence of your salvation. Without the confidence, it's not faith. Faith is simply confidence that, that God's doing what he says he's going to give me. So thinking about this chapter, the peace off—well— and I know we're going to get, before I start to wrap things up here, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this coming up in chapter 7, but in terms of the eating that happens, any any thoughts on, on who does the eating, just a, as a way of preview for what we're going to read later concerning peace offerings? Well, the person who brings the offering eats, and eats it together with the priests. Now, there are other offerings where the priests specifically are get you know certain portions of it as their food. Um including the grain offering, that's, that's you, you got to, you know, feed the ox that treads out the grain. You got to, you know, support them. And, and, but eating this together is more like a, a festival meal, a church potluck. 
um, where we're we're eating together. Yeah, that's right. That's Another right. thing I see before we before we wrap up, we've noticed that there's repetition, um, and in the center we've got the lamb. There's one difference with the lamb, and we talked about the fat, and that's the tail. Specifically mentions that this fatty tail. I don't know if, how many people are familiar with sheep, but but if you don't dock their tail, they've got this big fatty tail. That's fat. Okay, that's there too. Then verse 12, you come back to the goat. Well, that's pretty much the same as with the with the cow, the animals from the herd. Um, same procedure. Uh, you, you don't have that. Um, and, and then you get to the very end um, where you've got verse 16 where it talks about, you know, burning them, uh, the pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's emphasizes that one more time. And then you get to verse 17. Uh as I said, it's almost all one sentence. Verse 17 is, is another sentence. Uh, this is a statute forever about, throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. Uh, we've seen that before. All throughout here, this is this is a rule. You keep doing this. You keep doing this. You repeat this. Uh, and the emphasis, finally, you eat neither fat nor blood. Uh, the life is in the blood. And here we're picturing what finally God's going to do for us. He's giving us the life. And we were talking about the fat before. You know, he's giving us the blood. He's giving us the fat. The fat of the lamb, the good stuff. That he finally, in the end, will give that to us when we get to heaven. The yeah, good stuff. That's right. That's right. So with, with about two minutes here, Pastor Becker, help us to wrap things up and, and connect this chapter again very closely to Christ and his gifts for us today. Okay. Uh, once again, we'll say... Christ is our peace, and uh, as as the the other the sin offerings are only paying the interest on the debt, so to speak. This offering is not the source of our peace. That's Christ Himself, who is the Lamb of God. But here we have a picture of that in the Lamb that's offered, and we have God saying, "You need some way to have assurance that you have peace." Finally, our assurance is not from repeating this sacrifice, but it comes from Christ. Jesus Christ gives us finally the assurance of peace with God. And he does it by giving himself, giving his blood, um, and, and giving himself to us again in a meal. In that meal of the Lord's Supper, where we are celebrating that we have peace with God, and we can eat this festival meal together, and we get to do it more often than they did. And we get to do it with a group. And we get to have, every time we do that, this assurance, ah, I've got peace with God. Pastor Vance Becker is an LCMS missionary to Kenya. He serves as theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matango, Kenya. He has been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Becker, thanks for being our guest today. Uh, enjoyable, thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus 3, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.